All right, welcome to another episode of the National Pulse. It is Saturday, October 16, the year of our Lord, 2021. And I, um, I started to record this episode yesterday, and I have this whole new setup here um, so that I can podcast for you when I'm on the go. I've been getting a lot of, I wouldn't say complaints, but let's say queries as, I, uh, as I've been traveling. So I invested in a, in a portable system. You will have far more podcasts from me as a result, but I've been fidgeting around with it for the last 24 hours trying to, trying to figure out how to use this thing. Uh, and I started recording this episode yesterday, just ran out of battery in the device just thought I could, you know, speak into a two AA batteries for four hours and, and that would work. It didn't, obviously. So we're doing it again. So welcome again. Not that you heard the last one. Um, and we're broadcasting today out of New York, New York. I was feeling a little, uh, little, little ropey this morning. So I, I went, I went down from where I'm staying. Just found the first pizza place this afternoon. And I took a bite. Well, I bought it first. Then I took a bite. And it was just phenomenal. And I looked up on, uh, you know, the pizza man. What's his, what's his name? Uh, uh, Dave Portnoy. I looked up on his, um, on his rankings. Um, on his website. The One Bite website. What this pizza, what this random pizza place here down on, uh, on First Avenue on the Upper East Side was ranked at... And, he gave it an 8.5 and I feel like that's a pretty good score I would have given it an 8.5 I thought he'd come in lower so I was very pleased with that now I've got my energy back we can jump right into the conversation here um, lots obviously to talk about but the one one big story that's been stuck in my mind um, over the last um, over the last day is this story from back home and the the you know tragic and also just disgusting um story of uh sir david amos uh member of parliament who was you know murdered while doing his job as as a british member of parliament in in the uk we have things called uh, constituency surgeries um that means that you're one-on-one with your constituent and usually uh, there are no police or security at these uh, at these events and um you know Unfortunately, I guess, um, and 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 appallingly, twenty-five-year-old uh, uh, Somalian immigrant into the United Kingdom took advantage of that fact, and um, and you know stabbed Sir David Amos multiple times uh, during that event. He passed away shortly thereafter, and um, I want to bring into the conversation here an old friend of mine. He's been on the show before. Uh, Benjamin Harris Quinney is the uh, chairman of the Bow Group. It's the uh, oldest conservative think tank i think in the world and he has known sir david amos uh, for a long time has worked with him has hosted conversations and discussions uh, via the bow group and other groups uh, with sir david amos so i want to bring ben into the conversation here ben thanks for joining us pleasure ben um obviously i mean it goes without saying uh, what happened yesterday was was absolutely just 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 heart wrenching gut wrenching um i think about that sort of thing all the time you know as 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 i get evil eyes in the streets especially in new york from time to time i wonder you know is there a nutter somewhere around the corner 
you know, who wants to take advantage of, of, of you know, open and easy access, and, and, and this did happen to Sir David Amos. Your, your first thoughts on, you know, the incident and your memories of, of Sir David? Well, obviously, the first the first thought that I had was was total shock where I saw it um, that that he'd he'd been stabbed um, and died. Uh, it it it's surreal because suddenly you've I mean he was a very uh, unassuming guy and he was a um, a backbencher, which means that he was really focused on local issues, constituency issues. Um, he was a well-known figure in Westminster, but not a well-known figure in the country. He happened to be well-known to the Bow Group and myself. Um, and, and, you know, suddenly this, this, this guy is um, the focus of, of uh, such a, a, a shocking terrorist incident that I think we haven't seen in the United Kingdom for a, for, for a fair time. You know, it's, it's been, I think, uh, five or six years since there's been a, a terrorist incident of this significance and severity um and and you know i i suppose unfortunately perhaps in part due to the pandemic we'd kind of gotten used to these things not happening all the time um as as they were if you you know went back 10 years or so it, it, it was a lot more common and it seemed like islamic terrorism particularly had had died down a bit and it's it's come back with a vengeance with this incident i mean on a personal level david was a was a very unique character um he was a he was a funny guy you know good sense of humor i mean just uh very strong positive energy about him which was very different different to me um but he, he, he i mean when you have these these terrible incidents occur there is a a tendency towards hyperbole and you know the, the person in question the victim could do no wrong but it really was the case with with Sir David that he always had a smile on his face, and um, he seemed to just love politics, um, and he never lost that enthusiasm for it. Which which you know you were alluding to, perhaps that that you've lost a bit and I've lost a bit over the years with the sort of the vicious environment that it presents. But he didn't seem to see any of that, and so it's a particular tragedy that he was that he's been victim to you know, the very worst of it, really. So, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, he, he served, he served as a member of parliament for what, 38, 39 years? Yeah, he was, he was elected in 1983, I believe, which is, I mean, he was elected before I was born. Um, and he was seen as a poster boy of the Thatcher movement because it had been the first time that a conservative had won in 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 that constituency i think of of basildon and that was in an area of the uk which was not traditionally conservative and so he was seen as evidence that margaret thatcher was reaching new parts of the country that the conservative party had never been reached more working class people and you know david himself was from a for a relatively humble background by comparison to a lot of conservative mps uh certainly at the time and uh, he was a very, very strong supporter of Margaret Thatcher uh, and everything Margaret Thatcher tried to do. And actually, he was one of the very, very few number of MPs left that were a key part of that Thatcher movement and the Brexit movement mm. that has just occurred. So he was a very principled conservative 
uh, well, or, or simply he was a conservative, which is actually quite unusual now in the Conservative Party. Um, and uh, yes, uh, uh, one of the one of the last remainers, re- re- last remainders of of that caliber of of person and caliber of of politician. Um, so long career, huge success throughout his career against the odds. You know, mm. both with the Thatcher movement and the Brexit movement, and many other things. I mean, you 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 couldn't really reel off all the things he's achieved in politics, but those were, you know, two two major changes mm. that that changed the United Kingdom uh, in in very significant ways, and and you know he was a big part of that. So yeah, forty year career um, with very significant achievements, um, and I, from from every time I spoke to him, he was certainly not winding up. Right. He uh, he had a lot of things he still wanted to do. Well, you know, I, I we have a predominantly American audience, not not solely, but um, predominantly American audience, and and so I want to get onto the question of of uh, you know motivation here and uh, immigration, uh, specifically, you know, the mass migration that Europe has has, has had to put up with for so long. Um, and and how that how that conversation is now being had in the United Kingdom. So let's let's start maybe with the with the motivation side of things. It obviously struck me that when uh, Joe Cox, another member of Parliament, was uh, was murdered about uh, six years ago, five six years ago now. Um, Within within moments, really, in real time, we we knew that the attacker was this neo-Nazi guy who had uh, you know uh, stabbed her in the street, and uh, the police and the media didn't have any kind of problem talking about that. Yesterday was a little slower. We still don't really know all that much about this man, uh, apart from that, a obviously he's a he's a murderer, he's a terrorist, and he's uh, 25 years old and from Somalia. Uh, you're getting the usual drip drip of maybe he was, you know, on some counter-terror anti-radicalization watch list or, or, or what have you. And of course, we'll probably start hearing the refrain shortly about mental health and he was mentally unwell and all of this stuff. Um, but I, you know, I do look at I look at uh, uh, Sir David's uh, track record, his history, and I, I, I cannot reconcile that this was motivated by him or his policies or his politics. It seems to me like this may have been, you know, an arbitrary target. Is that something you concur with, or, or is there anything that you know that 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 would have led to this person being, you know, particularly interested in Sir David Amos? No, I mean, he wasn't a cabinet minister he wasn't a member of the government so he didn't have that kind of profile um he was uh, you know generally on the on the right of the spectrum a small c conservative but also a, a very very committed christian um and so he would do a lot of of charity outreach work and you know as a man he was extremely friendly so he, he's he, you know he's not someone that engaged in sort of highly divisive use of language or, you know, he wasn't always in Twitter spats. I don't think he was on Twitter. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, he's not, he, he doesn't have the profile or the character that you would think, you know, there's going to be a target for either an Islamist or, or someone on the left or, or someone really in any way in politics, because he was, he was pretty well liked across the, the political spectrum. Um, the, the way the, the, 
quarters of the left have reacted to this so far just today have been to say that um, this individual shouldn't be described as someone of Somalian origin. He was a British citizen, apparently, so he should be talked about as a British citizen as as much as anyone else. But I'm not sure that's right, you know, because my view um, is that we should have been and need to be a lot tighter on who we're letting into this country we you know approximately a million people a year migrate to britain mm. and you know maybe he shouldn't have been a british citizen right. maybe we should look a bit more closely and and maybe we shouldn't uh, be letting a lot of these people in um so so the debate has quickly shifted to that identity politic you know should we be talking about him as being a muslim should we be talking about him as being as of somalian origin I obviously think we should because I think that's the truth of what has occurred here. Um, I'm not. I, I don't know any more about the case than than anyone else. But you and I have seen these cases so many times in the past, and all across Europe, by the way. Yeah, well, all across the all across the West, all across mm. the world, mm. um, and they tend to go down in a very similar way. And you know, these these motivations come from people that hate the country they are in. This person has come to the United Kingdom, uh, and and as you say, I think it's more likely that his hatred is not for David Amos. His hatred is for our way of life and uh, you know Western democracy and Judeo-Christian heritage and all of those things, and and that's the motivation in most of these cases. And I don't think we can shy away from that reality. See, one of the things I worry about when you um, when you uh, take uh, what we saw and what we what we actually continue to see, but what we really uh, had to had to wring our hands about just over here it was it was just horrific to watch that Afghanistan withdrawal, um, the botched way it went down, and and specifically immediately afterwards this um, I mean war crime committed by Joe Biden where he instructed or somebody around him instructed. Uh, a drone to target this this family as a as a means by which to sort of save some face perhaps uh, after being you know attacked after american servicemen were killed outside the uh, outside the Hamid Karzai uh, airport and you know i wonder i wonder and like like you said we don't have any of this information mostly because the the authorities are not forthcoming with information at the moment which the you know the journalist in me is just screaming why do we not know more about this person yet i don't even think we have a name yet uh, at least not at the time of this um this podcast going out and and i look at things like that you know globalist foreign policy how it impacts you know people in afghanistan those families that have lost um Children, you know, seven children were killed in that drone strike. Um, and, of course, we've seen similar things taking place in, in Somalia and elsewhere in the world as well. And I just think I was one of those people who said, no, look, it's not it's not because of Western foreign policy that these attacks are happening in the West. Uh, it's because they hate our way of life. But it is. It's both of those things. And and I, 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 wor- I wonder and I worry uh, that perhaps this person has some kind of, you know, homeland related grudge. Uh, against the West and 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 is and is exacting that revenge. I I noted that in the immediate aftermath of that drone strike, the remaining members of the family that lived with that man who was killed, um, along with uh, nine of his family members, 
their immediate thing was when they gave an interview, they said, um, we'd really like to move to America. We feel like that would be the, 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 the trade-off, you know, here, uh, almost. And I just think, why, why on earth would you trust that those people would not attempt some kind of, you know, vengeance-based retribution um, once they get here? And, and these are the really odd kind of minutiae of these kind of moments that that we have to deal with and like you said right at the beginning maybe we need to look into these people a bit more and discriminate a bit more about their backgrounds and 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 you know motivations and uh, you know see maybe 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 the west you know drone striked his uncle or something and and this is you see what i'm saying we don't we don't know so we have to speculate but there's obviously going to be a motivation somewhere. And I just wonder if it's like that directly related or t- tangential. And again, to raise this, I, I am loath to hear, you know, the phrase mental health. And I, I like to joke about that because they always say uh, Islamic attackers are mentally unwell. And I always just respond, well, if Islam makes you mentally unwell, then if that's what the political establishment is saying, you know, then fair play to them. You know, they're not, they're not saying that. Or they don't think they're saying that. But in the minds of the public, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a gibberish way of escaping accountability. So how does one how does one find accountability? Like you said, the, you know, it's 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 novel to be a conservative within the conservative party nowadays. Uh, and at the same time that, that David Amos was being stabbed, uh, and 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 in the immediate aftermath of that, you know, images of, of of illegal migrants being pulled up onto the shores of Britain was still was still going on at that very point in time, and will still be going on for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well. The, um I would say that the thing that David Amos was most passionate about in his political life was, was being pro-life. Um, and I don't think he would have made a distinction between the death of a family in Afghanistan and, uh, the death of, of someone in a terrorist incident in Britain. You know, as far as he was concerned from, from his Christian perspective, life is, is sacred. Um, and there's no hierarchy in that regard. Um, but I think what, what I find most frustrating about this, and I was, and I was still at school when the, when 9-11 happened and, 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 uh, the, the war on terror, but I was very much against the Iraq war and, and, um, the middle, the general Middle East engagement, which of course in the United Kingdom context occurred under the Blair government. But I think a lot of people have now come to see Bush as, you know, not as more establishment than conservative, you know, and that there is a very strong movement now, thankfully, to question why the United States and we in the West are getting involved in all these conflicts throughout the world that don't have a clear benefit to the to the citizens of our countries and so when we talk about a a a reaction to or a reaction against our way of life i don't think drone striking a family in afghanistan in iraq in syria represents my way of life i don't think it represents the way of life of most british people i don't think it represents a judeo-christian way of life i don't think it represents uh the, the 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 sort of view of the world that david amos had um and so you've got two wrongs Mm. here basically um and so i don't you know 
it, it, and, and those two wrongs create a cycle of discord in the world. Mm. They create displacement of people coming from places that, um, the, 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 to the West that shouldn't have been coming to the West of, of, of grudges and, um, and, and, you know, horrific acts that, that lead to other horrific acts. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, both, both things are a wrong, um, but from a, from a security policy point of view, um, you've, I think you've got to take the position of being far tougher, whatever the UK, whatever wrongs the UK have committed in the past, whatever wrongs the United States have committed in the past, that doesn't mean that you take a lax approach to who you're letting into your country. Mm. And, you know, what we saw with the recent um, debacle, as you say, in Afghanistan, uh, was a lot of people being waved through. Uh, I think about 25,000 people uh, from Afghanistan uh, are either either coming into the United Kingdom or have been earmarked to come into the United Kingdom, many of whom were waved through even without any documentation. Yeah. So no passport, no identification. We don't know who these people are. Um, we sort of got swept up in this uh, moral panic. Um, and, you know, we know in the past things like the, the, the Manchester bombings um, uh, and a number of terrorist incidents in the past that people that have come into this country, into the United Kingdom as refugees, have gone on to commit terrorist atrocities. And, you know, you can call me racist or prejudiced or whatever, but I think when you've got people coming from countries like Somalia, countries like Afghanistan, countries like Syria, you have got to look at that person under a microscope from a security point of view. And if there is any doubt at all, um, I think they shouldn't be allowed in into the United Kingdom because, uh, you know, there's clearly a pattern and it might only be one in a thousand of them that pose a threat. But why take the risk? Well, I, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I've, I've now written two books, you know, broadly about these subjects, no-go zones, where I went to a lot of these areas across Europe and even in the US and the UK. And um, uh, Enoch was right, uh, you know, and analyzing the the level of assimilation and integration and and how much people sign up to, to you know, what, what, what we can, what we sort of flippantly describe as our way of life, but I think we do so little now, not just as individuals, but including as individuals, um, but as a civilization to either assert or, or, or even look inwardly and try and identify. Um, I'm not sure it's apparent to people anymore. And to the point where, I mean, Julie Kelly from um, American Greatness magazine the other day tweeted something like, I don't identify as a conservative anymore. She was talking about because conservatives tend to, to lose, to be weak, to, to not want to take the fight and, and wield the power necessary to win. And I replied, I replied, but what is there to conserve anyway? I mean, what about, what about now? What about today? Um, would you look at and go, yeah, that is the thing that we need to really, you know, build on there isn't anything like that it's the things what we're really doing is is reforming or or restoring um and there's this whole conversation yeah, well, now go ahead I, I i consider myself to be a conservative revolutionary um in the sense that roger scruton who was a one of the greatest conservative philosophers britain has ever produced um he was a patron of the bow group sadly passed away a few years ago um 
And his view of conservatism was that conservatism isn't about conserving the status quo, however you may find it. Mm. Conservatism is a, is a fixed point mm. that has been determined by enough human history that we know what works. We know what builds strong societies. We know what builds uh, virtuous lives and citizenry. We know the, the, the core pillars, um, the natural family, nationhood, uh, faith. And uh, so it's so in that sense, conservatism isn't just about saying, oh, let's keep everything how it is now. It's it's about actually moving to a point, returning to a point or finding the point for the first time of, of what makes um, a strong and virtuous and moral society. So that's how I see conservatism. Uh, but but in terms of today's society, I would want to preserve almost nothing. Right. Um, it's I mean, we, we have um, sadly you know, over the last certainly 50, 60 years in the West, we have destroyed ourselves. Mm. It is it is not an external threat. We've, we've had, you know, even in our careers, we came up at a similar time, you and I, and, and we've had the threat of just the, the tail end of the threat of Russia, yeah. um, the, the, the threat of Islamism, uh, sort of return to Russia, although a lot of it obviously nonsense, the threat of China. But, but none of these threats actually... You know, they weren't right at our door. Right. They, they they weren't ready to to cross the threshold. But the threats that have crossed the threshold and, and were ready to cross the threshold have, have been self-imposed. And so, um, no, I would want to preserve almost none of that. And I think, you know, in terms of David Amos's political philosophy, his his life spanned a time where I guess, you know, Britain fell away mm. in that regard. And um, the Thatcher movements and the Brexit movements were kind of raging against the the tide. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we'd have to say that the tide has been stronger over that over those fifty years. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I um, I'll, we are pressed for time here. Um, I got about uh, I got about four or five more minutes here, Ben. Is there anything else you think you know about this situation? I, I tell you what is really interesting to me. Um, and I suppose you might be the best person to remark upon this, is the is how they replace Sir David Amos in Parliament. Now, um, typically you would have a, a by-election, a special election, as they would call it, uh, here in the US, and, and you might get other candidates from other parties running. Typically speaking, that doesn't, doesn't properly happen when an incident like this occurs. I think the best way to kind of remark upon it, I saw on Twitter earlier, was, you know, we can't allow terrorism to... to change the political makeup of the parliament or be seen to be that way and therefore it's a good idea for everybody else all the other parties to just not field candidates um but you know i know you've got some pretty strong feelings about a conservative party replacement for sir david amos yeah well um david can't speak for himself but but i think um he was someone who loved democracy and i remember actually I was involved in organizing, a, I was helping out a student debating society, organize an event. And um, we contacted David to speak. And he said, um, I'm more than happy to come and speak um, unless you can get a bigger name and then I'll drop out. Um, and he did that sort of thing up and down the country, um, going to these student debates, which is very different to what it is in the United States. You don't get a penny piece um, you don't even get your train fare in most cases. Um, it's just for people who are passionate about debate um, and, and, and passionate about airing ideas. So 
I don't think he would want to shut down the debate. You know, I don't think he would want to have a one-candidate election. Um, and the issue I have with it, particularly, is that the assumption is that oh, we'll replace him with another Conservative candidate and therefore there'll be a continuation. But the Conservative Party now is it has, has repudiated pretty much all of David Amos's views. Mm. And so the likelihood is the candidate that you will get in might have the same party name, but uh, will be of a completely different political viewpoint. Mm. And so I think in these situations, you know, we've got to take the attitude of we're not going to allow terrorism to shut down democracy. And we're going to we're going to continue that debate, the debate that he was passionate about and and the democracy that he was passionate about. And I'm sure that, you know, whoever the the conservative candidate uh, is will win. Um, But but I do think it's important that they they have that debate. And perhaps we expose the fact that everyone's talking about what what a great guy David Amos was, despite, you know, a few days ago calling him far right and evil and all the rest of it. Mm. And I think it's right that we have a debate about his views, about his Christian faith, um, about his pro-life, anti-abortion uh, viewpoints. And, and you know, we recognise that these are not evil things. These are, these are legitimate points of debate that, that he had. And if justice is done, really... Uh, that his replacement will be someone that takes those views forward rather than just takes a party name forward. I quite agree. Ben Harris-Quinney, the chairman of the Bow Group, uh, the, uh, is it the oldest conservative think tank in the world? It is, in the world. In the world. Um, and where can people find you? Uh, bowgroup.org or uh, on, on Twitter at bowgroup. Or on Getter at bowgroup also. Ben Harris, Quinny, thank you so much for joining us again. Cheers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, um, I that worked. It appears to it, that appeared to have worked. So I'm quite happy with uh, with the system that they sold me. It's probably probably paid over the odds for it. Um, Want to say a great big thank you to our newly uh, joined members over at FundRealNews.com. We are people powered. Remember, ladies and gentlemen. So you can go to FundRealNews.com. There are all sorts of perks, by the way, that come with signing up as a member. Um, you can get uh, signed copies of my books and telephone calls with me, one-on-ones, all of that. Fundrealnews.com. So thank you to the latest members, Todd and Keith and James and Willard, Stephen, Joseph, Stephen, Linton, Jean, Cynthia, Vicky, Peter, Michael, Mark, Linda, Angela, Dave, Martha, Cheryl, and Richard. I want to remind you all to get on Getter. That's G-E-T-T-R dot com. That's where real free speech lives nowadays I think I have something like I'm going to check 528,000 odd followers I know they combine your Twitter following and your Getter following but still that's pretty that's a pretty sizable following Um, if you get on Getter and uh, post under one of my posts that you joined because of the National Pulse or the National Pulse podcast I will be sure to share that message pick you up a few more followers remember the nationalpulse.com i actually just published a new article as well but the usaid under joe biden has launched a new 125 million dollar project to find 12,000 new viruses seems like a horrific idea if i ever heard of one go and check that out exclusive reporting by the great natalie winters who will be joining me on the show in the next coming days in the meantime, make sure you're picking up a copy of Peter Navarro's book, In Trump Time. You can get that at bit.ly, that's bit.ly 
forward slash pulse podcast bit.ly forward slash pulse podcast and i'll see you again very soon